0: Hey guys, it's Power to the People again, down here at Radio Phoenix and Phoenix Center for the Arts. It's Glenn Miller and Chris Felton bringing you another engaging hour about issues of the day, about our culture, the intersection of politics and culture in America. And um, down here in Phoenix Center for the Arts, there's just all kinds of neat stuff going on. As you guys may know, it's on 3rd Street between Roosevelt and McDowell, downtown Phoenix. And we, I just was coming in this morning and saw this fascinating display in our little gallery that we have down here in the basement right around the corner from our studio here at Radio Phoenix. And I uh, met this interesting gentleman named Remy who has this display uh, about issues of Native Americans, intersection of Native Americans with, um, with U.S. culture and, and different issues where – that are going on right now and in the past I, I, I as you guys may know if you're regular listeners i used to live in the district of columbia lived in that area for 13 years 11 years in the district and he had some information up there uh concerning the issue of the washington redskins this football team with this racist uh mascot racist moniker uh that's been an issue in the district of columbia for years and um i noticed that and also other issues concerning oak flat that i care a lot about a big issue here in arizona also the uh tohono O'Tham. i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that correctly uh reservation but anyhow uh, his name is remy and he is of uh, first seven designs labs and he also has an instagram uh thing you can check out called the indian problem he's gonna let us a little bit let us know a little bit later more about ways to get in touch with him to follow what he's doing But just uh, you want to come down here, It's just through March, this interesting display, you want to get down here sometime this month in order to check out his display when the Phoenix Center for the Arts is open. So uh, anyhow, um, we're going to get right into some interesting issues. We're going to let him describe a little bit more first to start out here. What he's doing, what motivated him to set up this display, what he's going to try and do with it beyond March and uh so remy go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit more in detail than i have already about what you've done in the past uh you're a little bit about your background and, and what your goals are with what you're trying to do
1: my name is remy um i'm actually from the navajo reservation black mesa specifically uh my clans are shi hindi shlin um so, I just wanted to say yatay to everyone and uh, thank you for having me on the show. You're very welcome. The um, show itself um, is pretty much a lot of the work that I do in various communities, frontline communities. I've been in this for a while. Being a product, uh, living near Black Mesa, you know, you're born into environmental justice. Being indigenous, you're. You know, a part of social injustice too, and uh, a lot of that has to do with uh, the lack of education in history books, um, current society as it is, and you know, just taking a lot of this what I see as issues that aren't being addressed in terms of racism, colonization, and you know genocide which is the history of this country built on the enslavement of one and the genocide of another and so taking a lot of this imagery repurposing it um, reappropriating it in some cases and throwing it back into the face of white culture really and trying to educate people in the process things that I do are blatant in your face are made of spectacle but unfortunately those are the things we have to go through in order to get our point across and you know a lot of that resonates on the front lines whether they be in riots protests and whatnot and so the art is created for those environments and a lot of the times um, in terms of creation it's not like typical art yes you can do street art which you know is a a tool that I have in my toolbox in my arsenal Um, but the way that it's created, the conditions that it's created under is not typical in the sense of really um, it's created under the gun. Um, In some cases, you create, you know, with the threat of the door being kicked down. For me personally, I, uh, as a person of color, um, as an indigenous man, what is a fact that isn't particularly known is that we're killed more per capita than any other race. While young black males are killed more frequently, we live with these effects in terms of the racist border towns and so coming from the Navajo Reservation, um, you have a lot of this going on, and so we've always been targets, and fortunately, we will probably always be targets until society has the education it needs and you know addresses its own history and a lot of what I do you know perpetuates that so. You mentioned that you guys are
2: killed more per capita. Why do you think? Why do you think that is? And then, don't we hear about that in the general population? Because that, that's something I've never I've never heard before. I was under the impression that here in Arizona, you guys kind of policed yourselves, so it, a lot of the, the 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 troubles that you guys have on the reservations don't really uh, seep out into the general you know the the rest of Arizona.
1: Well, the uh, border towns, um, again, they're outside of the reservation. And so you'll have a lot of like areas like Farmington, uh, Gallup. You'll have Flagstaff. And we're targeted in that way. And we've always been targeted in that sense. Um, so this is nothing new since ships landed on our shores. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an extension of colonization in there. So um, you, know, you have a police force or what are historically known as slave catchers. Um, they have the right to pretty much do whatever they want. And, um, unfortunately, um, since we've always been a threat, you know, we'll still always be targeted in that way. So, um, a lot of what we see when we leave the reservation, um, is what I just explained earlier. So, um...
0: What do you mean by a threat? I mean, you're saying you're saying that in the perception of people outside the reservation, the people who control police forces in different cities and counties, let's say in Arizona, New Mexico, outside of the reservation, see you as a see Native Americans as a threat. Is that what you're saying? Historically, yeah. He,
2: he's, he's saying that just like people see young black males as a threat, or just black males in general as a threat, people white supremacy sees indigenous the indigenous males as a threat as well. Because tr- traditionally come from a line of warriors, just like blacks. Traditionally, they come from a line of warriors. So that is a threat to the white supremacist power structure. That's what he's saying.
0: Well, historically, there's no doubt that, that about the truth of what you're saying, uh, Remy. But I'm thinking, I'm talking about now in 2019. Do, do you? I'm, I'm, you know, I want to hear your perspective and the perspective of people you've talked to, native people you've talked to in these border towns. They still see today here in 2019 that perception that they're seen as a threat? Well, yeah. I mean, okay. for me as an
1: artist, personally, uh, I travel with a bulletproof vest. Really? I have uh, blood coagulant. I don't know what I'm going to get to when I'm going to other communities of color because they're under the same um, you know, oppression that we're under, maybe just at different levels. But you ain't got to look far in terms of like you know oppression in that way. Take a look at Standing Rock. You know, um, I was there for eight months and gave one of the first direct action trainings. We did one of the first direct actions against the pipeline itself. While the youth runners from the community were bringing national attention to it, uh, we were organizing on the ground level to create uh, a sense of resistance in that way to empower the people um, to stand up in various different ways. You know, a diversity of tactics in a sense. Um, but look at what they used on us. They brought out the CIA. They brought out um, elements like Blackwater. Um, they used. When you, CIA, us. when, you, when you say CIA, you mean uh, counterintelligence, counterintel yeah. yeah. So um, you had. Um, you know, they used water cannons on us. They used dogs on us. They, you know, use psychological warfare. They used. And this
2: was just with you protesting peacefully. This, yeah. this wasn't a violent protest. This is just with you protesting peacefully in May.
1: Well, we weren't violent. Mm. Um, what we were up against was very extremely violent. Mm. So, um, you know, being around gunfire, being around, like, you know, live rounds that are pointed at you, you know, targeted in that way. Um, they were using uh, weather-altering technology on us. We've, we've covered
2: that on this, on this uh, show as well. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know. If you take a look at that, you know the, the amount of resources that were put into that. You know we're still a threat.
0: Mention one thing related to what you're talking about, Remy, um, the founder of Arizona Community Media Foundation, Victor Aronow and his wife Jean. Uh, they did this maybe 15 years ago, and then that was the whole idea that was created was to create Radio Phoenix, which has been around now for 10 years. And uh, Victor is a, a former attorney. And he went up to Standing Rock and provided free legal services up there at Standing Rock. And, and I, we did an interview uh, on our show Power of the People with Victor and Jean to talk about their experience up there at Standing Rock and such. Uh, so he, he's been involved in that. And uh, I might want to bring him back again because I know he went up there again subsequent to the, the show that we did uh, featuring the interview with him about that issue. But um, a couple local Arizona issues that we talked a little bit about off mic. And I'd like you to explain, let people know more about this issue. One is the issue of Resolution Copper, which did a big land swap uh, up in the Oak Flat area, right? People may know this. It's right on the Highway 60. Uh, Oak Flat is a beautiful campground. That I spent the night at a couple times. Um, right there, as you guys climb up out of Superior onto that kind of a flat before you approach Globe on Highway 60, is an area that was uh, – taken over uh, by Resolution Copper in a land swap with the federal government in order to uh, provide so they could control that land and, and, and embark on a huge copper operation, as I understand it, which could be very damaging to the environment. There's also been occupations by different native groups up there that I've seen in the past. Last time I was up there, they weren't around, but in the past they've been up there to protest and and occupy that area in order to, to fight against what is pending? Um, and I, you know, some people are, it hasn't been. Well, you were, you, you go ahead. I don't want to let you, Remy, you were talked about a little bit off the mic. Could you kind of explain to people a little more detail about Because you know a lot more about that than I do.
1: Yeah, so Resolution Copper is a foreign uh, mining corporation. Um, Through a midnight rider that was passed uh, by John McCain, uh, Anchor Patrick, Jeff Flake, and uh, Paul Gosar, Um, it was put into a defense bill. And currently, right now, there's a surplus of copper. Uh, Unfortunately, copper is used in a lot of different areas, especially like solar panels. And so um, what they went ahead and did was opened up the land itself, which was originally protected by a previous president, to be mined, and this uh, mining uh, corporation, Resolution Copper, is going to do an experimental uh, mining operation, which has never been done in you know the world. And so, what they want to do is. Dig two Eiffel towers deep into the earth, um, pull out the water, pull out the uranium, and pull out the copper too. And this is going to create a two-mile-wide crater on uh, the Apache land, which is sacred to them. Um, it's where their women have coming of age ceremonies, and so uh, to destroy that in a way, you're actually that's a an act of genocide because you know their culture or their ties to that actual land itself. And so this corporation is now trying to Um, continue that operation and um, when you open up the earth at two Eiffel Towers deep you know it's gonna be about almost 200 degrees down there and so they're gonna be operating in that um, environment but that air has to go somewhere and so when you dig that deep and when you have that uh, what is basically an exhaust you have what's gonna to come to Phoenix, uh, rising temperatures of more than like 10 to 15 degrees within a matter of five, six years after that corporation. And then, what also people of the valley don't understand and why they should care is the fact that, like, they're putting all of these uranium tailings, you know, they're not burying it, they're creating a mountain of it. And so, um, the way the valley, uh, the wind goes through the valley, um, you know. It's going to blow right into Phoenix, and that's less than, you know, forty miles away. And so, folks are don't really have an understanding of what's coming to them. Question: What
2: what what uh, qu- what is the name of this corporation? Resolution doing? Copper. No, that, that's 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 doing yeah. the digging. And then, how are they able to come on legally? Come on, reservation land.
0: I understand it's not reservation land, is my understanding. Yeah, oh, it's It is a, not it's, Apache it's Reservation. Not
1: yeah, it's been designated as a, um, a recreation area. Okay. So it falls under kind of like it's, uh, I believe, managed by the park service and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So they're not
2: actually breaking the tr- – you know they have a history of breaking treaties. <laughs> but they're not actually breaking it, but they're they're kind of going – doing a roundabout, Um and with the tricky wording and
1: everything and doing it that way? Uh, well, it's pretty much a treaty. I mean, the president had, uh, previous president, I can't remember if it was Roosevelt or Eisenhower, had been out there and then designated it, hey, this is land that was designated to be protected. Mm. You know, um, and so that's where the, like I said, um, Apache have deep ties to. I mean, you look at um, the area just west of Oak Flat itself, um, which is Apache leap and that's also sacred to the Apache that's where um, the Calvary surprised um, a band of Apaches out there and basically killed all the women and children forced the warriors about 80 of them onto a cliff and rather than submit um, to white domination after they've literally lost everything um, they turned to the sky yeah, and it's very similar
0: to the story of the Jews in Masada with uh, the Romans. Chris and I get a lot into ancient history and all that. If you know about the, the history of the, the Masada and all that's a very similar story. What happened in Palestine um, with the Romans, but anyhow, um, it, can, can do you know? Some people have told me that because of the price of copper and all, which determines often decisions made by copper corporation mining corporations, that it what their project may not happen but you said it's already kind of begun do you know what is there any chance of stopping it at this point in terms of that whole project there Um, outside
1: of civil disobedience um, you know it's it's really hard to say Um, they're currently pulling out the water out right now Uh, they've dug mining uh, or they've dug tunnels into um, basically implode that area and so they'll create a pit in that way. And so um, they're already uh, in the mindset of, you know, this is going Going forward. through, yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, folks, I've done uh, some canyoneering, basically rappelling down, uh, jumping off cliffs down into the different pools in Devil's Canyon, which is down south of this area that I talked about, Oak Flat on Highway 60. It's just a beautiful riparian area. And, of course, you suck the water out of there, you kill a riparian area, and you kill the— is a natural, you know, uh, resource of uh, wildlife and such. And those pools are going to be dry. Um, you know, the beautiful pools that I've swam in and, and rappelled into. But um, and th- go ahead. With, with go ahead, your, Chris. With your art, what
2: is the most, from your perspective, the most important, the most powerful
1: piece that you do or that you have? Um, It's pretty much, I, I mean, I can't Um, there's no value for it. Anything that I create is, um, in terms of our resistance is, um, valuable, you know, because Mm -hmm. you are now addressing some of these things where, you know, a lot of what I do is blatant. It's in your face. It's meant to be because of what we're up against in terms of this administration. They're not about, their, they're not blatant about their racism. No, so not. Not. why should we dial down our messages to make it more palatable to a wider white audience, if you will? Um, you know, people think that, oh, well, hey, that's a little bit extreme. Well, obviously, you don't know the history of this land in the sense of we have a hundred to 140 million indigenous people that aren't here anymore. And so when you talk about genocide, when you talk about racism, when you talk about these issues, you know, that are outside of textbooks in that way, um, it's a problem for some folks, um, because you know, of what they engage in, you know, do you think,
2: do you think it's a problem for them because they don't want to face the truth? Or do you think it's a problem because they everything's just been kind of whitewashed over and, um, covered up
1: i'd say both you know it's it's an issue to where it's kind of like uh, i don't want to address that you know I, that wasn't i didn't do that you know well you know your ancestor did mm. so um getting in touch with that figuring out you know where your people come from in the sense of like this land um you know there was no white people on this continent you know prior to ships landing on our shores right okay. So, you know, in essence, what you have in like some of them, what my display um, features is, you know, saying exactly that, you know, you can own a house. But how do you own that on stolen land of
0: the border? And of course, we know about all these issues regarding Trump's proposed wall extension of, of the current wall that already exists on the U.S.-Mexican border. And of course, emergency declarations is part of that. That's a big issue being fought out right now. And we talked a little bit about that off mic. You, want to edu- you know more about that than I do. Again, can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on with, with those people and how they're being impacted by extensions of border wall and such down there?
1: Well, i mean border itself is something that's a colonial construct um so we've had to deal with that for a very long time you know whether they be reservations or quote unquote borders and stuff like that these are all um you know if you want to look at a reservation that's basically like a concentration camp you know we were put in concentration camps and so um you know, it's always been an issue for the autumn themselves. You know, I'm sure it's an issue for them. I can't speak on behalf of autumn people, but, you know, this is part of their land. This is an area where there was migration that happened. Um, these were trade routes that we had out here. And when you see archaeological digs and everything like that, that unearth, you know, areas of um, where you know, trade and commerce was happening. This was a center. This was a hub at one point. Um, So you'll see like macaw feathers that are from South America that they've been unearthed. Um, This area itself was uh, an oasis at one point. Um, There was a huge beaver population here. Uh, People don't know that uh, because You know as they see it now it's a desert in that way but it's only a desert because of westward expansion and so you had settlers you know going towards the gold rush and they dammed up these rivers um, these uh, areas that you know water would flow freely and so um, the local community was forced to chop down trees in order to you know have some sort of um, Wealth in some, not even wealth, uh, money in some way. Uh, women were forced to sell themselves, and um, sexually. And so, when you had the destruction of lifeways like rivers, um, the destruction of a forest, um, you know, the reconfiguring of um, canals. I mean, these canals that you see here are based off of autumn designs. You know, you had canals that were. 20 feet tall, above ground, that are 20 feet wide. And so they sustained a huge uh, agricultural area here at one point. But um, you don't see that anymore because of westward expansion. And so when wagons rolled across, they created a actual uh, desert where there was an oasis. And now with you know water being pulled from other indigenous communities, they're trying to make it an oasis again, Um, when they water these golf courses in that way because uh, Phoenix has more golf courses per capita than any other place in the world. And so where do they get that water from? Who has to suffer? Which land has to suffer? And so it's kind of a, a really disgusting cycle in a sense
0: we got into this issue before in a previous show uh, interviewed sandy Barr, executive director of the sierra club the grand canyon chapter of the sierra club that's the arizona chapter of the sierra club i'm an activist in the sierra club and she talked about with well, a big f- fight that they have of course is protecting the verde maintaining the verde as a natural perennial river uh, the Verde River, that is, and also the San Pedro River. Uh, prox- basically about, speaking to what Remy's talking about, about 90% of the natural flowing perennial rivers in Arizona no longer flow on a perennial basis. And like the Gila, the Gila River we know in, in Metro Phoenix here goes down to the south part of South Phoenix there. That used to be flowing perennially all the way out to the Colorado and and so this transformed the people indigenous people's lives who depended on these water resources of these flowing rivers going to what remy's speaking of so i don't know if you want to speak more to that remy that issue
1: uh no i mean when you dam up rivers and stuff like that uh, that means no more crops that means no more um you know life-giving uh access to what it is that's a basic fundamental element that, you know, we shouldn't have cordoned off in a way. But again, you have man trying to play God in some of these aspects and has never worked out because man separates himself um, from the land. Um, Indigenous people, we know that we're a part of the land. And so um, there's a lot of things that are kind of slowly starting to be understood in terms of, you know, the you know, the green movement, if you will, but, um, you know, it's still difficult. It's still incremental in terms of change in that way.
0: All right, folks. um, We're going to be right back with a brief break. Again, this is uh, Glenn Miller with Chris Felton at Power to the People on Radio Phoenix.
3: We don't need no education We don't No thought control No dark sarcasm in the classroom Teacher, leave them kids alone
4: Oh ever wanted is what I have, and that is.
2: People with Glenn Miller and Chris Felton and we are here with Remy Remy is the CEO founder and owner and operator of first seven design labs when we when we left off we were discussing the Indian problem Remy was giving us a rundown of the some of the social, social issues that the native population is undergoing, not only here in Arizona, but across the globe. And so his his art, it depicts a lot of that. So we're gonna continue our discussion with him. Remy, go ahead, um, pick up where you left off for us.
1: Um, indigenous people, we know that we're a part of the land. And so um, there's a lot of things that are kind of slowly starting to be understood in terms of you know the um, you know the green movement in it if you will but um you know it's, it's still difficult it's still incremental in terms of change in that way so um it's an uphill battle that we've always been trying to educate folks on like all right well you know this is you cannot own this, you cannot own the air, you cannot own any of this, you know, you are a part of it. And so what you do to it will be done to you. And a lot of folks don't understand that, you know, violence against the earth is violence against the people itself, because when you pull out these natural resources and use them for, you know, creating commercial gain. Energy, yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it, it equates to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, in terms of, let's say, um, You know, extractive industries, they create man camps in typically what is, well, this is all indigenous land, but a lot of these uh, projects go right through um, reservations and stuff. And so when you have these uh, centralized, concentrated uh, man camps, you invite a lot of other things that come into it, like drug use, um, the disappearance of indigenous women um you know just the rape of the culture in itself um on all fronts in that way
2: have have you guys had a, a, a huge issue with the disappearance of of uh, indigenous women i know just off the reservation there's there's a massive problem um with women and children coming up missing uh, on just on a on a global scale um but do you guys have that issue there too
1: yeah i mean it's Prevalent all over. I mean, since ships landed on our shore, when Columbus came over, he separated women and children. So you have a lot of these policies that are, you know, what you're seeing right now being played out, the separation of family. When Columbus landed in um, the islands, he actually separated the, you know, children and the men and the women. You know, some of them were designated as mine workers Mm -hmm. to mine for gold. gold. The others were uh, designated as sex slaves. And so, nothing's changed, and that's the unfortunate thing because uh, a lot of people don't understand why we still, you know, resist in that way um, because it's part of our DNA. You know, when Columbus landed, he came back, um, you know, took slaves to, you know, um, wherever he came from. Um, you know, said that hey, this population is ripe for. You know all of this in terms of like slavery um the extraction of natural resources and you know when he came back at that point they had wiped out a whole island meaning that almost a million people were gone at that point point. Mm-hmm. and so you you know take that you know fast forward to today not a lot's changed
0: what, there's so much to talk about. One, one issue we talked about back in your studio, Remy, was this, I used to live, as people are, may know, I lived in the District of Columbia for uh, 11 years, 13 years in Metro DC. This was from 95, mid 90s to 2009. And big, an issue among many people there was the issue of this uh, racist moniker of, a, of the NFL football team there, the Washington Redskins and a lot of you know, our listeners and maybe football fans and may not realize just where that name comes from remy you want to if we talked earlier can you let our listeners know a little bit about that name and why you put up a banner you know protesting that name in your studio
1: yeah the name um the washington slur skins because it is a slur um we were actually hunted at one point and going back to westward expansion going back to the gold rush you know when miners couldn't find you know gold at that point they had to supplement their income in some way and so they would hunt indigenous people they would get so much for uh, a child scalp uh, the woman's scalp and a male scout and so um, in terms of feeding their family um, they would go out and collect these scalps and that's a very nice way to actually say that but um, you know that's where the term comes from and so when you take a team and you know uh use that name you're actually you know promoting genocide you're letting that proliferate if you don't understand the history of it and a lot of folks you know like the owner himself understands that but is not willing to uh bend in any way and so um what i've done is um Really taken the team name, put a spin on the logo itself, and told its racist uh, um, roots in that way. You know, um, even at one point, a lot of people don't know, the um, team, uh, the Washington team, had a huge march around the actual um, stadium itself in the 40s, and the march was put on by Nazis. Um, A huge, You know marches that would be put on and they were protesting the integration of black players into uh, the team itself and so if you just do a google search of washington the team name and uh nazi you will see black and white images of these nazis in a huge parade uh, a huge demonstration huge protest that are that have signs that say keep the redskins white and so You know when you mix all of that together um, this imagery itself the dehumanization of our people in that way you know they say oh we're just you know honoring you in some way that's not honor you know you're making money off of genocide in that way
2: what do you think or where do you think this this whole spirit of racism comes
1: from Um, what do you mean okay
2: because in, in in antiquity we have tribal issues we didn't have really um racial issues um as we have them today it was mostly warring tribes and um but you know you fast forward to the 14th century 14th 15th century where people colonizers have to colonize land um and they utilize physical characteristics to de- dehumanize individuals. So what do you, I, from my perspective, in order to, um, I have to dehumanize you in order to uh, take things from you. Uh, so I have to make you seem like an animal. So what do you think that, 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 that spirit comes from is that uh, is that an issue, uh, issue with the heart is that uh, a mental issue where, where do you think that that spirit comes from
1: uh, racism itself yeah mm. uh, you know, I think it goes back to Europe back in the days so, um, you know the you've seen it proliferate through the domination of uh, pick a country really mm. <laughs> um, you know, you can look at this country, you can look at uh, India, you can look at Africa, you can look at all these different countries. So that's where it comes from. But in terms of what happened here, that was already in place in terms of the mentality. mentality. So, um, you know, the entitlement in that way. Um, even the documents that you look at, um, you know, the Declaration of Independence or you know, all of these uh, Constitution, all of these, like, white documents in that way, they call us merciless Indian savages. In them. You know, it's recorded. Mm -hmm. So just do a Google search of that, too. And that lets us know that this society, the government, and everything like that that is built on was never meant for us. Mm -hmm. And so while it may have taken, like, some sort of elements of, like, democracy from us that was never passed on to us, you know, we were seen as you know wild just like the land is you know in terms of culture people you know white culture thinks of land as wilderness or being wild something to be tamed but as indigenous people we one call it the is land, one and the same no no we call it we call the land home you know so why would we ever call it like these colonial terms in that way so again you see the connection to the land that you know i think as you uh had people come over here um, from other places, they just see it as something to conquer and the people along with it. So uh, I, mean, I, I can't speak on like where racism comes from, but you know, pretty pretty sure it starts from Europe and uh, Roman Empire, things like
0: that. My, my understanding, the, the, well, Chris and I have diffig- disagreements, so my understanding that the concept is a, is a philosophy, r- racism comes out of the 18th century And the concept of race comes out of the 17th century. Now, Chris says there's resources, sources he has that show it before the 17th century. But anyhow, what I think it is is that it is a racism is a doctrine that rationalizes institutions like slavery, which are very predominant in the 18th century, and imperialism. And because you have emerging liberal democratic values in the 18th century, which come to a head late 18th century, emergence of the American Revolution, the French Revolution. And so these liberal democratic values that are evolving conflict with what with institutions like slavery and imperialism. And so you have to rationalize it and so you create this doctrine that some races are superior to others well, and that the natural order is that one race will dominate another race so that rationalizes institutions like imperialism well, and in terms slavery
2: of, in terms of in terms of racism as as, as you're as you're implying it, it 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 actually goes back a little bit further than what you're saying but the so the romans never thought of People in terms of race, like everybody that wasn't a Roman, they considered a barbarian. Mm-hmm. Same way with the Greeks, Chinese, um, same, same way, way with, with the Chinese, th- mm-hmm. like uh, even the Egyptians to some to some extent. Uh, but race as, as as race, we all know is a social construct. Uh, I, from my perspective, we have to get away. First, we have to correct the Issue, I, I think it's the issue of the heart. Um, and then second, we have first we have to correct that, and then second, we have to start seeing that we are connected to the land, whether or not we like to agree with that concept or not. Um, and then the other thing is this whole issue of just trying to capitalize on everything, <laughs> like.
0: You mean exploitation, economic uh, exploitation. Yeah, you mean? like
2: I mean, I mean we're selling water for God's sake. <laughs> we're selling water. Um, it we we shouldn't have to purchase water to live off of. Like, you know, it, it's natural it exists in an environment. And then you know, we we're extracting, you know, uranium and, and, and copper and all these other things out of the environment for things that we don't even need. Like you know, in a lot of cases, some of it is used for, like, weapons of war. <laughs> it's ridiculous.
0: Before we, we wrap up, Remy, uh, since you are Navajo and you you know know some of these issues that are actually going on up in the reservation areas, adjacent to the reservations, uh, I know uh, when Sandy was here, we talked about uranium mining around the Grand Canyon area and how that's going to affect um, the resources, well, let's say, of the Havasupai tribes and such, uh, and possibly pollute the water resources that go through their reservations. And also, there's issues of coal-powered power plants on the Navajo reservation. There's issues of uranium, long-term uranium mining on the Navajo reservation, how that's affected and poisoned people. And there's divisions, I know, amongst the Navajos with regards to some of these issues. And I know the issue that the Sierra Club fought seems to be as the issue of this tramway uh, coming from Navajo Reservation down into the confluence of the Little Colorado and the Colorado and a lot of some Navajos were fighting that and some were saying oh this is a way to pr- create jobs for Navajo people and create money for the for the community are, are these some issues that you've investigated or you've spoken to in your writings uh, Remy and, and such
1: yeah, I mean, I've created art for my community back on Black Mesa. So right now you have NGS. It's a power plant, Navajo Generating Station. It uh, provides uh, electricity from coal. And so right now you have, currently have six coal-fired plants that surround our um, reservation, and you know where are you going to put these things? Because um, it's not going to be put into a, a white community. But you know this is another form of genocide because that coal that coal pollutes the local communities in that way. And so this corporation right now, NGS, um, this coal plant um, is slated to be decommissioned at the end of 2019, just because um, they found that natural gas seems to be a little bit more. Um, cheap and so SRPs pulled out of it uh NGS um Peabody's now trying to pull out of it but you have a shell company coming out that's called tech and it's headed by um these white folks who have imploded other coal mining operations in the sense of like you know they have an obligation to uh fix the land um in terms of reclamation and um You know, put it back to the way it was. Heal the water. Heal the land in that way, and that's very expensive. And so, in order to get out of that, what they've done is taken the pensions and retirements of the mining opera, the miners in Appalachia in that area. And so, this uh, corporation called Entech is looking to purchase that mine and absolve Peabody, absolve SRP of all the cleanup duties that it had uh, originally. Like. Uh, made agreements with uh, the tribe to go ahead and do so uh, right now we're fighting that because at the end of 2019 if you have a cheaper alternative in terms of natural gas and these corporations have figured that out you know but you want to keep this coal operation this coal incinerator in operation at the end of 2019 who are your customers you know but you're going to still c- pollute the local communities down below. And for what, you know, you starting out in 2020 with no customers at that point. So, you know, at that point, you're just poisoning the people, you know, continuing that genocide that we were talking about.
0: Man. Yeah. I, uh, I just want to mention that um, I'm, I'm not Native American, Chris is, Chris is part of Lakota, um, but I'm a deist and my my conception of God is very much tied into nature It's some reason why I, I want to spend a, I spend a lot of time in nature because it's a spiritual relationship for me being out in nature and I want to see it protected that's one reason why I'm a member of the Sierra Club is to protect these natural areas and for many different reasons and a lot as, as Remy has spoken to a lot of people are not aware of that there's a lot of air, land that is we have protected that is not Reservation land, but has a tradition of spiritual value amongst many of our uh, tribal communities throughout the Americas. Uh, there was Mr. Shanker was engaged in the fight with regards to um, uh, manufactured snow on the Kachina Peaks area uh, to you know for the for snowball the ski resort up there. You probably know a lot about that. Remy, that issue. Also, we well we talked about the area of, you know, of Anavok Flat. Um, but there's, there's, and also there's, there's mountain protected. I'm not sure if I don't think it's tribal land. But there's, I know there's, there's land protected that you can't hike on, and I, I respect that. Land. Well, I'm talking about Taos, New Mexico, outside of Taos. That's Taos tribal and, land. Too. Is that tribal land? Okay, okay, <laughs> I wasn't sure.
1: This whole continent is tribal land.
0: Well, I, well, I mean officially tribal land. Okay, but I don't know if it's tribal. Well, maybe you can tell me that, that you maybe know the area that I'm talking about outside of Taos, New Mexico, that is restricted. You cannot go hiking there, and it is considered res- a sacred area by the tribes in that area. And I don't know if that's officially reservation land or if that's just land that is protected and regulated for the benefit of respecting that sacred value for those tribal people for whom are indigenous to that region. Maybe you know that issue, I don't know.
1: No, but I know that it's all indigenous land. So um, in terms of, you know, Snowbowl, what we had talked to, uh, you have a company, that's uh, creating basically snow from reclaimed waste from uh, the city of Flagstaff. And they'll pump it up the mountain. It'll sit in a collection pond where it sits for eight months out of the year, fermenting, maybe gets agitated a little bit, but in essence um, gets sprayed onto the mountain. Um, and that's human waste in order to create snow to you know fund this you know recreational um, endeavor by this corporation. And so um, that... The San Francisco peaks themselves is holy to 13 different tribes in that surrounding area and so um, we've tried numerous attempts at lawsuits uh, different ways to protest and um, you know stop this desecration of this holy land and that's great that that's happening in Taos and everything but we need to be able to apply some of those same principles to other areas that you know these tribes have ties to because um, one step in terms of, you know, stopping a company like Snowball is the education of people and um, figuring out that, hey, are you really trying to eat that snow? Are you really trying to, like, have a snowball fight in that? Because let me tell you where that, you know, water comes from. And so people are less likely to, uh, you know, engage in something like that when they know that, you know, that's basically human waste that you're, you know ingesting in some way and they have you know snow guns that just blow out this mist and everything like that to create the snow for these runs but um, when you blow that into the air um, how much of that is actually still you know safe at that point you know when I've been there and looking at other areas around there you know you you have children playing and so you know we don't know the effects of um, what people may be exposing themselves to um pink eye you've got uh, other e coli like a lot of other things so um are you really depending that this corporation who has financial ties is going to tell you the truth about like you know what you're engaging on chances are no and a lot of the times when i've approached people up there they don't know that either and after i tell them they're just like all right let's get out of here you know they'll gather their kids up and then leave but um, yeah, we need to have some of what's going on in Taos uh, proliferate up here because we've tried to say that, you know, hey, we have amendment rights, you know, for a second, whatever it is. Um, but those things aren't guaranteed to us in terms of freedom of religion, you know? So, um, that's always been the case for us. Um, our expression is something that has been denied in so many different aspects. Um, You can dial this back to even the ghost dances and the plains. So um, freedom of religion doesn't really apply to indigenous people um, because it's a problem for settler society, these corporations, and so on and so forth. Final thoughts.
0: Yeah, anything you want to say that doesn't, that we haven't touched on yet here in in wrapping up uh, with regards to answering our questions that you've done so well?
1: Um, Yeah, you can pretty much, um, you know in terms of like my art I'm um, just happy to kind of be here to try and like express some of this and bring this tear to the valley because uh, a lot of these are conversational starters just like what we're having now and so uh, a lot of addressing what is currently the elephant in the room starts with you know having these discussions around a table um, it starts with folks having these difficult discussions in their dining room tables. And so a lot of my art um, tries to actually ignite some of that in some way. And I've done that for other communities, even white communities. So I've worked with a number of different organizations and my art's taken me, you know, in many different countries and stuff. So I'm blessed to be in that, um, you know, um, this movement in a way. And um, really, you know, looking forward to amplifying the frontline community messaging. And so, um, if you want to come check out some of that, um, it's here at Phoenix center of the arts. You can also reach me on social media at, um, first seven, and I'll spell that out F the number one R S T S E the number seven E N. And you can find me on Instagram at the Indian problem. So, um, yeah, come on down, check out what we got, and uh, let's start educating each other.
0: Well, th- thank you for uh, taking the time on uh, <laughs> just a uh, you know a brief introduction here just this morning, uh, Remy, to educate our listeners about some of these vital issues. And I uh, hope you can stay in touch with us and let us know how this proceeds in terms of you know, how you're getting the word out, and we can highlight people, our listeners down the road about what you're doing, Um, other other, resources that you can turn us on to, to help our listeners learn more about all these different issues that are going on throughout the country, not just here in Arizona. um, Thank you so much, and folks, we'll be back shortly here with Power to the People on Radio Phoenix.